Hey friends, this is Kaisin, and you're listening to the Handful of Leaves podcast, where we bring you practical Buddhist wisdom for a happier life. In our highly competitive society, workplace politics and backstabbing can be rampant in some organizations. Some might do anything to climb to the top of the corporate ladder. And even if you may not wish to be part of the dog-eat-dog world, and even if you purely just want to do your job well, inevitably, there will be jealous colleagues who see you as a threat and start making things hard for you. So is there a way to play this game well without losing our virtue and sanity? The answer is yes. In this episode, Cheryl speaks with Datuk Chali to understand how. Datuk Chali was the former director and group CEO of numerous listed companies in Malaysia with over 40 years of experience. He also played a pivotal role in founding several Buddhist organizations there. In this interview, he shares instances in his career when colleagues would gang up to bring him down and how he turned a really hostile colleague who used to sabotage his work into one of his best friends today. Datuk Chali helped us see that we have the power to ease workplace toxicity and how to find the balance between enduring a toxic work environment and escaping from it. This is a highly practical and insightful conversation with the man who has been there and done that. And I'm sure you'll get as much value as I did. Now let's dive right in. Thank you so much, Datuk, for joining us on our Handful of Leaves episode. Today, we are very excited to talk about a topic that's high on everybody's mind. Stress, burnout is, is something that a lot of people, at least in Singapore, is facing. I can't wait to dig into your knowledge and experience. But before that, I was just curious, what made you so inspired to share the, the Dhamma? Well, I was actually more of a ritual uh, Taoist. Knowing very little about Buddhism, I was introduced to the Buddhist center in Melaka. I was from Melaka. And there is this temple called Sikyai, temple in Melaka, where the Baba and the Nyonyas would meet for cultural, most of the time for cultural uh, activities. Then, of course, we have uh, the chief reverend, which is uh, K. Sri Damananda, who used to travel to Melaka to deliver talks. And I was sort of very captivated by the logical and uh, scientific explanation of the Buddha's teachings. Eh? And being a science student myself, I was baffled. Somehow or other, the Buddha's teachings has covered all the aspects from A to Z without any doubts over the authenticity and the, the workings of a science. And it is very compatible. And so I was keen. I started learning. I started reading. started attending whatever retreats and talks that I can attend. It makes a lot of sense. And uh, so practical. Without dogmas, without superstitions, yet it contributes towards a self-development program. Because of that, I felt that good to help to spread the Dharma because there was this slogan at that time was, no Dharma and make Dharma known. And uh, so we became missioners from then onwards. Lovely. So you have known Dharma even before you started your career. How many years have you been, been in the workforce? Well, I have been uh, in the workforce for almost 40 over years. I'm already 67 this year and I've already retired for about three to four years, although currently I'm still practicing as a legal professional in my law firm. Were there any 
specific teaching that helped you view your career or helped guide you in your career? Well, I think the Buddha's teachings has actually introduced quite a good set of values and ethics. And that whenever we are in the corporate sector, we must be seen to be ethical and we must be seen to be honest and uh, creditworthy. Because at the end of the day, uh, in business, we are talking about creditworthiness. That if people trust you and people believe in you, then you can sell better. Your ideas can also be, uh, what do you call, uh, be used and introduced. So somehow or other, because of our precepts, we tend to be more in, a, in, in the sense of honest to ourselves and honest to others. Secondly is that I think the Noble Eightfold Path has also provided us a sort of like a self-discipline to train ourselves in the right thinking and uh, moving in the right direction. I'll give you a simple example when we talk about right action. If you are going to do some actions, it must benefit both yourself and others. Because there are some actions which benefit others but don't benefit yourself. That is not right. Then any actions that benefit yourself and don't benefit others also is not right. Of course, any action that don't benefit yourself and others, or that one, you have to keep away from it. So all the actions that we do must be seen in such a self that to be a win-win situation, or both parties must benefit as a result. So when you have that kind of uh, ethics and maxim, then each decision and each action is not just to benefit yourself. It's also to benefit everybody else, and especially your clients, your associates, those people who work very closely with you. At the same time, it's also applicable to boss and subordinates relationship. Because in a working relationship in companies and corporates, the staff must believe in their leaders. And they must actually be inspired by their leaders. And they will actually more of go to the lengths in order to achieve the targets and the objectives. So if you are the leader who can say that, you know, basically you all don't work for me but you work with me. And thus, you become an inspiration and they, they say that you are willing to go to the ground in order to bear all the difficulties and the problems and come up with solutions together. And at the end of the day, the results, uh, you share the glamour of it, you share the, the rewards of it, that it is everybody's contributions rather than you yourself takes all the honour and praise. So once the staff or the subordinate sees that you are in that direction. They believe in you. They follow you. Throughout my corporate life, uh, I have staff who follows me from company to company. They, they always believe that they have far to go if they were to be with a leader of their choice. Are you able to maybe share with us a specific example on how you managed to bring a win-win kind of scenario? You see, I, I was in the property development industry for many, many years. Although I, was, I started as a quantity surveyor and then eventually I ventured into real estate and properties and then finally, of course, I ended up in a legal profession. So when I wanted to sell a product, especially a house or an apartment, when we design an apartment, we don't design according to our taste, our whims. And sometimes, you know, it may be suitable for you but may not be suitable for others. So at the end of the day, you should actually design with them in your mind. And that this will benefit them, this will give them more advantages in their movements, and this will then give them the luxury of life. Then when that happens, you introduce the product to them and get them inspired, enthusiastic, and excited. And then subsequently, when they actually bought the property, you don't leave them hanging. 
you must continue to provide the services, customer service and also after sales. It's also a very important factor that at the end of the day, you must be there to make sure that they enjoy from the beginning right up to the end. A lot of us, uh, we sell our products at the end of the day, you are left to fend for yourself. That is actually not credit worthy. And if you have a good uh, purchaser or a good customer, they are your customer for life. And not only your customer for life, they are also your introducer for life. So you get referrals and business over and over again. Isn't that a better option? So always with that in mind, then it is a win-win in every action you do. You find that your business will grow. And I think this is a very great example of thinking about the long term rather than the short term conveniences. From your experience, have you ever been in a, in a toxic workplace before? In many times I have because uh, usually when I join a new company, I've been uh, sort of like uh, parachuted into a new company. And that's the time when you face a lot of flags. Reason is because there were people from the rank and file ready to fill your position. But somehow or other, the management or the board decides to actually pull someone from outside and then eventually parachute in. And thus, then you start to run as a leader instead of coming from the rank and file. Then you will get sabotaged. You will get a lot of staff who might not be happy. And at the end of the day, they will try all sorts of ways in order to get you, get you out. But the most important thing is that you have to win your friends. I, I have always succeeded in doing that. You know, I remember when I was in the first property company, when I started to join a first property company after a construction company. And I was placed at the general manager level. And there was this particular finance manager who was actually aiming for that post. So when I came in, he was very antagonistic. He sort of touch every proposal I make. He sort of put in a lot of cold water. And I had a tough time. And I decided that, you know, the, the Buddha says that when you are in this type of position, you mustn't uh, overcome it with a lot of hatefulness and anger. Because the Dhammapada says, hatred is not overcome by hatred. By love alone is hatred cease. So I decided to put it to a test. I say, okay, I'm going to be nice to him. I'm going to be pleasant to him. I'm going to love him. So at the same time, every morning when I meet him in along the corridors or at the doors, I will then greet him. Very good morning. Of course, no answer initially. And he, he will just refuse to acknowledge and he will walk past you as if like you were a ghost. And I keep on trying because I believe in the Buddha's teaching. I say it will work one day. And true enough, after a number of months, then when I say good morning, I can hear a grunt. And the grunt was, mm. oh, that was good. There's a response. And I say, it's good. I'm going to try further and better. And true enough, I keep on going, good morning, how are you, you know, uh, hope your day will be good. And then eventually one fine day, the response came back and says, good morning. Well, that was a great uh, sort of improvement, a breakthrough. The cold, uh, what they call war is over. Mm. And then subsequently, as the conversation now started properly, and then, good morning, and how are you? He said, yeah, I'm fine. And then eventually, one fine morning, I says, hey, would you like to join me for breakfast? And he says, okay. Then he started to join me for breakfast. And then, would you like to join me for lunch? He joined me for lunch. Of course, later on, when we work late, then we says, okay, we either buy ourselves our packed dinners or we go out for dinners. Oh, and that was actually that breakthrough that we have. 
And true enough, we were so much good friends that even until today, I remember that was back in uh, 1991. And until today, this person is now one of my best friends. He will call me, he will check with me, and uh, eventually I'm uh, doing his legal work now. All his legal work is done by me. You see, from a very toxic environment, it has actually flourished and we work together very much. There was another one more equation when I was again uh, sort of talent hunted and then eventually was placed as a chief operation officer. And uh, somehow or other, I was supposed to work with this group of people who were actually on the way out because the new management didn't like this group of people. So when I came in, they were all out in trying to also get me out. So toxic situation again. I then decided that I do the same thing. And then eventually you'll find that these two guys who were the one of the senior COO and one of the senior CFO, and we are now great friends. And we, we, we meet every once in a while for our dinners. So there can be a lot of situations when the Buddha's teachings, especially the Dhammapada, if you read the Dhammapada very well, you'll find that it has so much values and gems that when you apply, it solves a lot of our working problems. It is very challenging situations that you shared and the people are just hostile. The people are just really dislike you from the start. And when you say you apply loving kindness, you try to be friendly and smile to the person. Was there any point where you felt so tired and you wanted to just give up? There is another maxim in the Buddha's teachings. Have patience, patience, tolerance, understanding. And these are actually the three great virtues and it, it hangs in my room. Patience, tolerance, understanding. And actually it has helped to solve a lot of issues like this. Have a patience because it is, if there is no patience, we tend to leave things halfway and we give up. We are not tolerant. We are not tolerant of the difficulties that we faced. And then subsequently, of course, when you have the right understanding of the Buddha's teaching, that by the power of all the metta that you have, somehow or other, it will happen your way. I give a simple example. You know, they always say, believe in the power of karma. There are many people who have done a lot of good deeds in their life, but they have not been uh, bestowed with all the good results and good fortunes. Then some of them would just utter and say, you see, I've done so many good things in my life, yet I never enjoyed any of these fruits. The idea is that the conditions are not conducive. You see, karma is like a seed, a potential. When you plant a seed, the soil must be good. The air must be good. The nutrients must be good. The shade must be good. The oxygen must be there. But if you don't have all these nutrients and conditions which are conducive for the arising of the seed, it will never germinate. It will remain a seed hibernating all the while. So we may have done a lot of good deeds in our life, uh, so a lot of good seeds, but as long as our mind is not positive, our mind is not at peace, our mind is not calm and happy, if we are desperate and we keep on grumbling and say, you see, I've not been able to get results, you know? of course, results won't come your way. Positiveness will attract positive events. So we always say, do good, get good, do bad, you get bad. But at the same time, I think we must believe in the power of karma because the karma is actually a natural law. And all the workings of nature, especially when you contribute things, when you do a lot of good things, when you do a lot of efforts towards a direction, believe in the natural laws. 
that eventually nature will then take its form and it will bestow on us. I really love what you share there because when we are put into hostile situations, it is something that we cannot control. But when you look into practicing patience, practicing kindness and understanding, these are things within our power and we are able to then control and at least plant the seeds of goodness and with right understanding, as you said, you know, when the conditions are right, the fruits will reap on its own. At the same time, I also hear from a lot of my friends who are in toxic work environments, it takes a toll on their mental health. So how do we balance, you know, the patience, let's say, always being kind, always being nice to other people, but at the same time, it eats us from the inside. So how do we balance that? Put it this way, the moment that matters the most is actually the present or the now. What happens in the past, you can't control. And what is going to happen in the future is beyond your, your means at the moment. But what matters most is, what are you doing about it now? And because what you do now justify your past and also prepares you for your future. Do something about it. If you believe that you want to enjoy good results, ask yourself, what can I do now? And of course, at this present moment, because you expect good results, you expect, say for example, like a student, you want to score 10 distinctions. Think it aloud and says, I, I hope to score 10 distinctions and have a lot of uh, worries about the future and says, do you think I can get it or not? And uh, whether I will be able to achieve it. You will never achieve it. But what are you doing about it now is to actually put your effort and your energies into trying to work it out at this present moment, which matters most. Because what you contribute today, it will bear its fruits in the future. What you do today and contribute today owes its origin to your previous contributions. That means you must have actually built it up from your past. And then you cheer you in this present moment and it will bear your results in the future. So living in the present moment is actually a very strong philosophy. In fact, Eckhart Tolle, you know, who is actually a German who thought about this and wrote in the book called The Power of Now, is actually very, uh, very synchronized with our Buddha's teachings in the sense that the Buddha says, live in the present. Do not worry about your past and do not speculate about your future for it's yet to come. What you do now will be the most important. So have you put your best effort have you tried your best? Have you given all your energies in trying to make it work? If you have done something at this moment, don't worry. Eventually, it will happen. The common maxim is, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> you know? So it is important to realize this, that living in the present moment, living here and now is where your happiness is. And if you are happy today, your conditions is right. I believe you all have heard or met with Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh. He actually believes very strongly in the present moment. His teachings is actually going around this main point where here and now is the wonderful moment. And if you can live this wonderful moment well, you will live your future well too. And you will also appreciate your past. How do we draw the line between saying, okay, this is unacceptable, I should walk away and, and leave and find a better environment for myself. So is it an act of cowardice or is it an act of courage to walk away from a toxic environment? Actually, it's an act of wisdom. Reason is because by grasping, by holding, it's actually not going to give you a lot of uh, relief. But if you're able to let it go, 
like in Mandarin, we say fang tai, fang xia. And if you're able to slowly let it go, you maintain a good peace of mind. And when the mind is focused and peaceful, that is where you make the right decisions. We get agitated, we get angry, we get frustrated, we get disturbed. It's because we cannot let go of an object which is disturbing us and cannot move forward from there. So it is good that we say, okay, let me just put down all these difficulties and see how I can work within this, what you call, capacity of mind. Now remember, all of us are not built to be supermen. We have our limited capacity. And because of that limited capacity, we don't realize it. And we always aim for the sky. And uh, sometimes, you know, you can ask a guy to really study hard, but the best that he could put in is only five distinctions or five A's. You know, and he cannot achieve the 10 A's. Does he get what he called very unhappy over it? A water in the vase is half empty or half full, depending on how you perceive, whether it is negative or whether it's positive. Why do you want to dwell in negative when you can be in the positive? And a positive mind is always a good condition to actually develop and germinate all your good seeds which you have sown in your past, your efforts that you have contributed in your past. They actually bear fruits and surface and arise to take over and give you what you expect. So expectation always gives us a lot of failures. And what is your expectation? If you expect high, you fall very high or fall very deep. So it is important to manage our expectation by being able to renounce ability to let go, ability to manage the expectation. Then we won't be so unhappy as a result. So if your mind is not unhappy, if your mind is not in desperation, you will always have a good mind. You always have positive mind, happy mind. And uh, we believe you will lead yourself to better environments. And that's what we have been training ourselves. And uh, the act of renunciation, the act of actually giving, uh, letting go, is actually a wisdom by itself. People look at it as a weakness. Sometimes when we retreat, they treat it as a weakness. But the retreat could be a strength for you to actually recuperate, to come forward stronger. So don't look at all the negativities as weakness. It could be just a retreat for the search forward later. I love how you tie retreating into an act of wisdom and I would add, you know, an act of courage as well. And I think this ties in very nicely into our next team, you know, especially when you were mentioning about how we should be very wise in how we manage our expectations. So in the context of where we are today in 2022, COVID is still not over, although the world is slowly coming back to normalcy. There's so much going on. There's the economic pressures from the war, the inflation, and there's just so many things that can make a person feel very destabilized and very, very stressed. So, you know, what are some active steps or methods that one can take to manage their expectations to, you know, in a way, attenuate their stresses in life? Well, the path to enlightenment is to understand three characteristics of phenomena. And that is anicca, anatta, and dukkha. What is this? These are three characteristics that governs all phenomena. Impermanence, change. And there is no permanent entity or permanent phenomena which does not change at all. Never happen. 
And if you are attached to something where you don't want to change, but it changed, then you are going to be unsatisfied and disappointed. Dukkha. And actually, enlightenment is when you begin to see all phenomena in these three characteristics, your mind is at peace. Your mind is free from suffering. So, this is the art of managing changes. COVID, pandemic, wars, and changes in the environment that we are living in. These are part and parcel of the impermanency of phenomena. Accept it. As long as you cannot accept change, that is where the tension is. That's where the stress is. That is where you get disappointed all the time. But if you can accept change as part and parcel of nature, and you managed it, you manage it in the sense that you, you are able to then adjust yourself, sort of understanding why it changed, and then move together with it, in synchronize with it, or living in harmony with it, you'll be free from all the repercussions. Now, pandemic or COVID-19 actually gives us a lot of lessons. We learn to respect nature because we have tempered with nature. We have disturbed the forces of nature. And the Buddha actually, for 45 long years of ministry, has taught us about these laws of nature, our natural laws. And he says that don't go against the law of nature. The moment you temper and disturb laws of nature, be prepared for the consequences and the punishment of nature. I think in other religions also taught the same thing. Go in a, live in harmony with the laws of God and you'll be free from the punishment of God. So when we understand the laws of nature, especially in the Buddha's teaching, it's called the five niyamas or the five cosmic laws. Therefore, when pandemic happens, this is part of the natural laws which adjust itself. When it gets disturbed by our human intervention, our human, uh, what do you call, uh, uh, habits and, uh, and destruction, then the forces of nature will then rearrange and then try to take effect upon us. You get more tsunamis, you get more tension, you get what you call the pandemic or the viruses going haywired. Respect nature now. From now onwards, try to live in harmony with it. Don't destroy nature. Take care of nature. Eat naturally. Exercise naturally. Do you know that nowadays we are doing a lot of unnatural things? Even when we have to talk to each other, we also use a finger. Right? And then uh, in front of the other person, you are still texting. You know? Instead of talking and communicating. You know? So there are many unnatural things that we do. We have to actually return back to nature. And that's what the Buddha's teaching is. We have to return to the balanced state of nature. And that is called Nirvana or Nibbana. Right? So... Understand nature by virtue of these lessons that we learn through the pandemic, through the wars that is happening. And then we say, okay, if we don't want these things to happen, we ourselves have to take the lead in observing the laws of nature and try to pacify ourselves in this direction. And that is where we, as one person, it becomes two person, two person becomes many, many becomes millions, millions becomes the world. And if we can change the world by what we do inside, we change the whole world outside. Because you can never change the world from outside. You have to change the world from inside. The path to enlightenment is not looking at outside. It's looking at inside. And understanding the nature of our physical form, mind and matter. 
and understanding anicca, anatta, dukkha within. Then you will make yourself understanding the rest. And if you are happy yourself, you will see the whole world as a happy world. If you are unhappy yourself, of course, you will see everything is negative. Everything is unhappy. So be happy, be positive, and be at peace. Just now you mentioned the five niyamas. Could you maybe share a little bit more for our listeners? Okay, basically the five niyamas talks about the five natural orders. First order is the germinal order, which is called the bija niyama. And the germinal order says that if you plant a mango seed, you get a mango tree. You plant a durian seed, you get a durian tree. You cannot plant a mango seed and expect a durian to come out. Because this doesn't follow the laws of nature. But of course, through human ingenuity, you can temper it. You can actually create a mango that smells like durian. But you are tempering. That's why you have genetic modification, you have cloning, and you have all the reproduction processes that you temper with it. The moment you do that, be careful of the repercussions and the consequences. Utu Niyama talks about cycles and seasons. That you have the seasons that occurs round and round every time. You get the moon circulating around the earth every 28 days. You get the, the earth going around the sun every 365 days. And you get what we call uh, the, the, the seasons that comes with uh, winter, then you have uh, spring, spring, then you have uh, summer, summer, then you have autumn, and then goes back to winter, and then it goes round and round. The whole universe runs in cycles. Third is the law of action and reaction, which is karma. It's a natural law. You give an action, a force of action, there will be an equal and opposite reaction. In other words, if you sow good seeds, you will reap good fruits. You sow bad seeds, you reap bad fruits. This is natural law. The third one is the law of citta, citta niyama, which is the law of the behavior of the mind. Psychology students like you would, or graduates would know about how the mind works. And in the Buddha's teaching, we are basically learning how the mind works and how to control it, how to cultivate it, how to improve on it. Dhamma niyama is miracles. And when we talk about miracles, it happens when the conditions are conducive and right. These things will happen. It is a natural event. That's why the Buddha never believed in a supernatural. Anything that miraculously happened, he says this is a natural event because the conditions are now right. That's why it happens. And so all these are what we call the pancha niyamas, which is the five cosmic orders that governs the whole energy of the universe. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think it links back to what we talked at the start as well, where you know when you're putting in good seeds, making sure that you have the patience and understand to wait for it to ripen as it should. Correct. Mm. Lovely. That's why I have a very, uh, what do you call, favorite topic. I call it karmic management. Wow, karmic management. <laughs> you actually can manage your karma because your seeds of karma is waiting for the right conditions. So are you providing the right conditions? Are you keeping your mind happy, positive, what do you call, calm, peaceful? These are conditions for your good karmas. But if you are desperate, angry, frustrated, fearful, these are conditions for your bad karmic seeds. And when they arise, it creates more desperation, it creates more anger, then the conditions become better for some more bad seeds to arise. So you can manage. Because in the Buddha's teaching, we say, destiny is in your hands. You can manage it. I love that. We talk always about time management. Now we need to talk about karmic management as well. 
All right. So I think, you know, we will go on to just one last question here. For all the busy young people with so much going on, you know, limited time, limited energy, and more importantly, limited mental space as well. So how can we practically prioritize our well-being? Is there any, you know, actionable steps that our listeners can take here? Well, the Buddha has on certain occasions in the suttas mentioned that you know, we should always prioritize by doing one step at a time. In other words, there may be many chores. There may be many assignments. Find out which one is more important. Focus your mind and do it. Don't get all over the place. Focus the mind. Concentrate. Solve this event first. And then eventually, then you move to the next and you move to the next. And you'll find that everything will come into place. The reason why we are not able to complete our assignments is when we start to panic, when we start to become confused, when we start to be desperate. But when your mind is very alert, very calm and peaceful, you tend to make right decisions. Now, we always say that when uh, you negotiate with the Japanese, uh, the Japanese will always retreat to a room first. They will ask for a few moments. They will retreat to a room and they will sit there and they will then sort of go into mindfulness. They will calm down their mind. And when their mind is calm and peaceful, they will walk in into the negotiation room. They will become good negotiators because they are able to actually see the steps one by one and not muddle up and able to make the right decisions and the right moments. But if you go in and when you are caught with some uh, critical uh, moments, then you panic. Then your decisions are going to haywire. So a lot of times, you know, we have to watch out for the, the capacity of our mind. Take one step at a time and be able to do your best. When you have that opportunity, focus, do your best. And then if it can give you the capacity and the results, so be it. Manage your expectations. If your expectations is too high, you will tend to not be able to touch it. But aim for the expectations in their hierarchy or in their tiers. Take care of the bottom ones. It's like going to exam hall. Tackle the easy question first. If you are, what do you call, in a, a list of questions, which are some are tough, some are easy, go for the easy questions. And then when you have more time, and now you go to your difficult question. A lot of people went into the difficult questions. Then they couldn't solve it. They panicked and they blacked out. And even the easy questions also cannot answer. So which is a better technique? And that's a wrap for this episode. I really like how practical this interview was and that it's not so much about going on either ends of the spectrum, but it's to know our capacity when can we be a little bit more patient and practice loving kindness towards colleagues that might not be so kind towards us? And when should we just leave because it's no longer beneficial to our mental well-being? I also really appreciate how Datuk Chali mentioned about karma, that if we diligently plant the seeds and sow the right conditions, then it's just a matter of time that the seeds would germinate, that we'll see the fruits of our good deeds. At the end of the day, we have the power to choose, 
And I hope all of you listening will choose the path of kindness, the path of compassion when it comes to really difficult situation at work. If you've benefited from this episode, do share with a friend and leave us a five-star review because it really helps us with the algorithm to reach more people. Till the next episode, may you stay happy and wise. <laughs>